0: Hey, what's going on, friends and family in the room? Great to see you. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for crashing a party this morning. For everybody joining us online on the beaches of North and South Carolina in the mountains all across the Fruited Plains, thank you for hanging out with us. We love you. Come visit us sometime soon. Uh, My parents recently moved and uh, they ran across a box that was in their attic. They had a bunch of my old school stuff in it, including every report card that I had ever gotten. And they gave this to me. They are like, hey, you probably want to read this. You probably want to look at it. And so I began to unpack like every report card that I had gotten, like from first grade through high school. And uh, I, I noticed a pattern on there. Um, there. There are two different ways that a teacher can provide an evaluation on a report card. The first way is you get a letter grade, A through F, you know, near the subject. And I never had a problem with that. Uh, Mama Klein ran a tight ship. And uh, she made sure the Klein boys studied hard and made good grades. I never had a problem with the A through the F section. But the problem, the place that always got me was on a report card, there's a comments section on the bottom where the teacher could provide some freestyle feedback on how they thought the student was doing. And uh, I noticed a pattern happened almost in every grade uh, from every teacher on every report card. One phrase in particular popped up through 12 years of school. Do you know what it is? Talks too much. Too talkative, right? I don't understand that. Uh, that's going to be hard for some of you to believe, but back in the day, I used to be a talker, right? I just, just could, not, could not handle it, could not keep uh, from talking. And so my mom, now my mom was really cool about it because she would tell me, she'd say, uh, Nathan, as long as you make good grades, I'm okay with the talking. And, you know, as long as you're not distracting other people, And as long as you're being respectful for the teacher, like my mom knew the battles to fight and asking Nathan not to talk was not a fight she was going to win. And so she was like, just study hard. Don't distract other people. Respect the teacher and you're going to be fine. Like I don't, it doesn't matter if it ever says talks too much or too talkative. Like don't tell me something I don't already know, okay? And so that, that was just a pattern of me. I don't know if what kind of grades you got, what kind of comments that you got on, on, on your report cards growing up, but the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation are kind of like report cards, Um, This is an opportunity for Jesus to to not only uh, provide a grade for these different churches and how they were doing, but every one of these letters contains a comments section. This is where after Jesus would give them the initial word about their church or the the congratulations on on the A, there was always something in the comments section that he would want to elaborate on. And so we're going to look at the, the fourth church uh, in this line of seven churches today, this is the, the smallest church out of the seven. Um, it is uh, the in a, in a city that is a, a blue collar town. Um, so they're they're hard workers, just salt of the earth people, just just working hard with their hands, getting it done. Even though it was the smallest church, it's the longest letter out of all of them. Jesus has some things that he wants to share uh, with this church. So if you have your Bible, let's do Revelation. Just flip all the way to the end. And uh, the last book, chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 18. If you have the Revo Church app, you can open that up. All the notes will be there with the translations we're going to use. Or you can check out the big Bible on the screen behind me. Uh, Chapter 2 of Revelation, here is the letter to the church of Thyatira. Here's, Here's verse 18. It says, to the angel or to the messenger, to the pastor, to the leader of the church in Thyatira, right these are the words of the son of god whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze now i don't know if you noticed this from the past couple of weeks but jesus introduces the letter to these different churches in a different way every time a different way that he uses to describe himself and what he's actually doing is he's personalizing the letter he wants to say something in the intro that really grabs people's attention um, that they can take personally. Now, the thing about Thyatira is this was a city, and I told you it was a blue-collar city, but this was a city that was known for working with metals. This is like the uh, first-century version of, of Pittsburgh. They're known for the steel and you know the process that it takes in order to to make that steel, the the hot fire, the refining of the metals, the this particular area was, was famous for their bronze statues that they're made. And, and so Jesus begins to use this imagery of bronze and metal and, and fire to communicate and to connect. It, it would be like this. If, if Jesus wrote a letter to the church in, in Winston-Salem, he'd have to connect with it you know, like, Winston-Salem, the home of the Krispy Kreme donut, headquarters here. Everybody loves Krispy Kreme. Maybe Jesus would say, to the churches of Winston-Salem, where the hot sign blazes red hot. And then it would be like a transition of speaking of blazing red hot, hell blazes red hot. So listen to what I'm gonna say because I don't want you to go there. And that would be the transition, right? You got your attention with the Krispy Kreme. We all know the red hot sign. And then he transitioned to, now this is what I wanna speak to you this church in, in this particular setting. So now Jesus gets to the, the main part of the letter. And what, what I want to show you today, if you're taking notes, and, uh, and I hope you are, five things that I think we can learn from the church in Thyatira. Five things that as we look at this church's report card, and we read the comments and get the grades, there's some introspection that we can do, some things that Jesus says, I want you to learn from this as as well. So in, in verse 18, after the introduction, he goes to verse 19 and says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance. And check this out, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Jesus starts it out pretty similar to the way he starts out all the letters. He tells them what they're doing right. He says, can I, t- can I tell you, like, you're going to get an A on this. You're known for your love. The way you all love the city, the way you love each other, that you just kind of wrap your arms around each other and embrace people, it doesn't matter if they're different than you or what their theology is or what their background is, like, You are just known for loving people and for serving people, serving inside the church and serving the city outside of the church, serving people that you don't know and serving each other, treating everybody like friends and family. Big shout out to you. And then he throws out another phrase that I think is the the first thing that that we can actually learn from this church. He says, "And, and that you are doing more, thumbs up, you are doing more now than you were when you first started. First way that we can be challenged by this church is this. Number one, write this down. Jesus says, "I want you to keep moving forward. I want you to keep moving forward in your relationship with Jesus." He not only says uh, commending them on what they have done, but he says, "I got an observation. Like this church has been around for a few years, and today, like you're just as red hot as you were five years ago when you launched. Like you were doing some stuff back in the day, but now you're doing even more." Like you're expanding your influence. You're you're picking up more ministry opportunities and impacting more people and loving and serving. And I I noticed there's this progression that you just keep keep moving forward. What's interesting is uh, our tendency in life is to do the exact opposite of that. A lot of times, especially when it comes to our spiritual life, um, we will find a lot of comfort in the things that we've done in the past but we're not really moving forward in our relationship with Jesus today. Try this with a Christian, Uh, just ask him, just say, tell me a little bit about your your story, about your relationship with Jesus. And almost every Christian that you go to and and say that, they'll tell you, well, when I was 10 years old, well, when I was 15 years old, well, when I was a a sophomore in college, I gave my life to Jesus, I made a decision to follow him, and and then I got baptized, and uh, man, that's my relationship with Jesus, which is awesome until you realize you're talking to a 40-year-old. And you're like, man, that is great. Man, 15, 25 years ago, you uh, gave your life to Jesus. And so, talk to me, like, what's happened in the last year? Let's just think 2020 and 2021. If somebody were to come up to you and say, tell me the steps that you've taken in your relationship with Jesus. Tell me how you have moved forward just in the past 18 months. Would you have an answer? Could you say, like this church could say, man, not only were you working hard and serving and giving and being generous and loving people 10 years ago, you're still doing it today? And listen to this, it's even more. Like your passion has grown over the years. Unfortunately, it becomes the opposite for many people that claim to follow Jesus. At one time, it was red hot, it was burning, like we were all in. And then over time, we just become being satisfied with what we've done in the past and our accomplishments and the things, the steps that we've taken and, and we stop moving forward. So Jesus gives them a good letter in this category. He says, man, when it comes to next steps and you know that's a language for us here at Revo, we want you to move forward. It's one of our core values. We, we don't want you to be the same person yesterday that you are today. And so we wanna encourage people to take next steps. Everybody has a next step to take. No one has arrived no one is perfect. And so Jesus says, when it comes to that, Thumbs up. You got an A on that. But this next verse is when Jesus moves from the letter grade down to the comments section. Because he says, there's actually something that I want to talk with you about. There's something I want to to have a conversation about. Verse 20, nevertheless, but, it's a big but right there, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Can you imagine uh, how uncomfortable it would have been for Jezebel that day? Because <laughs> the messenger of the church gets up on stage and starts reading this letter. And Jezebel's probably on the third row. Shout out to everybody on third row. Jezebel's on the third row and, and they're like, and, and there's this woman, Jezebel. And Jezebel's probably like, mm, I picked the wrong day to come to church. All eyes on Jezebel. Uh, right there at the front of church. And and Jesus mentioned something. He says, uh, there's a word that I I don't know if you caught it. He said, here's the problem. We need to talk about a word that has kind of swept culture a little bit, a buzzword that was a part of this society in the first century and also in the 21st century. Jesus says, we need to sit down and we need to talk about this whole tolerance thing. Did you catch that word? He said, you, the church, have decided to tolerate this woman named Jezebel. There are some things that these people were embracing and accepting that God says, wait a minute, that's the exact opposite of what I wrote in this book. Like, that, that, that's, that's the, the wrong thing, but Christians are embracing it and they're accepting it and they're wrapping their arms around it and, like, wait, like whoa, whoa, whoa slow, down, slow down a little bit. What happens when something goes on in the world that is the complete opposite? That's what Jesus teaches. And Jesus said, for this particular church, too many people have begun to tolerate and embrace things that Jesus specifically said, that's not what we're about. And they struggle with that in the first century, just like we struggle with it in the 21st century. And here's the second thing that that I think Jesus makes a a correlation here. Uh, Jot this down. Number two, uh, Jesus says, I don't want you to confuse love with tolerance. Did you see how in verse 19 he complimented them for how much they love people? He says, man, when it, when it comes to people, it doesn't, that doesn't matter what they look like, what their past is, what their, what, what their walk of life is, you all are known for loving people. And I, I want to congratulate you on that. But Jesus slides in and says, but, but did you know that you can love someone without accepting and embracing everything that they do in their life? Did you know that? Because in 2021, not a lot of people know that. Our world is convinced that if you don't do the same, believe the same, talk the same, and, and, and believe the values that I believe, then that means we can't be friends. Jesus says you can actually love someone. You can have a relationship with someone. You can be friends with someone, even if you disagree with some of the things that are going on in their life. But what's happening here is the church says, well, I I would rather love everyone and tolerate everything than to take a risk on someone not liking me, to take a risk on burning a relationship. You know, there's a a few reasons why uh, people that know that something is wrong will embrace and accept something even though they know that it's wrong. The the first one is is real simple. Uh, A lot of times we will tolerate things going around us because we don't want to lose a friend. You ever been there? Because if you decide to take a stand on some of the things that Jesus talks about in this book, uh, there's going to be some people at your job that don't like that. There might be some family members of yours that don't like that. And they're not going to agree with you. And they're probably going to give you a hard time about what you agree with and what you believe And so most people, they would rather just say, well, you know what? I would rather just not say anything at all. I'll just tolerate it. I'll just glaze over it. I'll just pretend like it's no big deal. I'll love them and accept them and embrace them and and just won't say anything about it because I'm afraid of losing a friendship. And it's interesting that we've gotten to a point in our lives where Christians would say, if I had to choose between my faith and fandom, I'll choose having fans, I'll choose having friendships over standing up for what God already said was true. It's one way that we'll tolerate it. We just don't want to be the weird person. We don't want to stir any up your trouble. We don't want to lose a relationship. We don't want to lose a friend. And so we're willing to tolerate more things around us. Uh, That was what was happening in this church. There's another reason why you you see it in the end of this verse. Maybe it sounds a little weird when you first read it, but, but Jesus says another way that you're tolerating is there's this lady named Jezebel that is teaching you that it's okay to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And this is a little bit weird for us because, like, I don't know, maybe Winston has this somewhere, but I don't know any churches that are cults that are offering animal sacrifices on a regular basis and then selling the meat. Like, I don't know. Um, but this was the case in this area. Here's what would happen. There would be cults in town that every time you came into church, you had to bring a sacrifice and it was an animal sacrifice. So like, imagine that everyone in this room just showed up with some sort of animal this morning. Chicken, cow, goat, your cat, whatever it is. You want to sacrifice this unto the Lord. You want to provide that and give it. Now what happens at the end of a day where you got 100 people that all bring an animal sacrifice? Well, you got a whole case of meat in front of you at the end of the day. So here's what these pastors of these cults would do. They would take the cows and the chickens and the meat that were sacrificed. Well, they would butcher them. And then they would go out in the market and they would sell this meat. Because you got to remember, the meat was donated. And so whatever I sell it for is straight profit for the church. And so they could undercut everyone else's profits and prices because they didn't pay anything for the meat. Here's another fun fact about sacrifices. Most sacrifices were the best of the best. And so we're not, we're not talking about just like an old cow that was getting ready to die. We're talking about Japanese Wagyu meat here. This is the best of the best. This is what they're offering to us. So not only can you get the best meat, it's cheaper than everywhere else in town. Here's the problem. It's only sold inside the temple. And all of the proceeds go towards funding the mission of the temple. So you have these Christians that were going into these temples of false gods, and here's what would happen. To get into the temple, you had to pay what they call a temple tax, a tithe. So every Christian was walking into this temple that worshiped another god and giving them money just to get in. And then when they got in, they were buying this meat for a reduced price and paying money to the temple that was against God, funding their mission so that they could send out missionaries and convince more people that God didn't exist. But here's the hang up: they were selling ribeyes for six ninety nine a pound. You know how long it's been since we've had ribeyes at six ninety nine a pound? That's two thousand two numbers right there. And so these Christians were like, ah, I know that that it's bad. I know that I shouldn't be supporting it, but these are $6.99 a pound ribeyes, man. And I'm not talking about the cheap ribeyes that are wrapped in the saran wrap frozen that you buy off the back of a truck in a mall parking lot. This is the best of the best. I know I have to, like, like these temples were like a, a, a satanic Costco. You had to have a membership to come in. Don't put that online. I'm not saying... Costco loves Satan. I'm just saying, if there was a Costco and you knew that buying a membership supported stuff that was against God, but you bought one anyway, and you knew that every dollar you spent in there would go towards a mission that was against God, but those ribeyes are $6.99 a pound, and the marbling is perfect on them, what would you do? So what was happening is there's a bunch of Christians were going into these temples, giving them money. And here's a second area where we get tripped up sometimes. We're willing to sacrifice our faith for finances. I'm willing to compromise what I believe, save a little money. Now, like I said, in our culture, uh, we don't have any of these. We're like, we're not buying meat off of some weird temple on the other side of town. But we do oftentimes have decisions that we have to face in our life where are we going to choose our faith in God or are we going to choose our finances? Sometimes it happens on a Sunday where we're just like, well, hey, I I could pick up another shift or I could go to church. Faith or finances. Sometimes we'll work hard Monday through Saturday and on Sunday we got a choice. Either I'm gonna stay home and rest because man, I've been grinding Monday through Saturday. I've been working like a dog. I'm gonna stay home and rest or I'm gonna prioritize worship. And so often in our culture we make a decision we're either going to tolerate what happens Monday through Saturday and sacrifice our faith, or we're going to make a decision. And Jesus said, there's a lady in this church that is pushing people away from God. They're causing them to say, ah, you know, that Bible stuff, it doesn't matter. The Jesus stuff, it doesn't matter. If you want to go into the temple, it's fine. It's six ninety nine dollars ribeye night. Come on, man. We love steak here. Come on. But the Christians were walking into these temples, Spending money, supporting the mission of a church that was against what they stood for, and here's the worst part: people in the community would see these Christians going and doing that, and it would communicate a message to them: it's okay. Oh well, well, if that Christian goes into the place that worships Satan, then maybe Satan's not all that bad. Like maybe we can just all get along. Maybe we're all just moving in the same direction. We're just different churches, and we just have different names. Maybe we're all the same. And Jesus said, that's what you're tolerating. That's what you're allowing to come in to your life, and you're making this decision. So Jesus says, man, there's a way that you can love someone and understand that they're doing something that's totally going to wreck their life, totally pushing them away from God. You can love them and still help them to see that the direction that they're heading right now is pain and shame and regret and remorse and destruction. Jesus said, know the difference. I know you're known for your love, but don't forget about the truth that you are called to. Don't tolerate those things that are gonna push you away from Jesus. So how was this woman doing this? Like, what was Jezebel doing? Well, scripture tells us she was pushing people away by her teachings. She was standing up and teaching the Christians that this was okay. Third point I want you to write down is, is this. Jesus says, are you being careful who you're listening to? because they were listening to this woman that was standing up on stage, pushing them away from Jesus. Be careful who you listen to in your life. Our our world is uh, consumed with uh, yelling and getting a message across to you. It does it through advertising. It does it through social media, through your phone, through your TV. You jump on social media, and all your friends are telling you what they think and, and what is true and what is right and what is wrong and what they believe. Like We are inundated by that. What are you listening to? What news are you watching? What music are you listening to? Whose people do you have around you? Like who is speaking into your life, your family and friends? Like who has your ear? What's in it? Because again, culture is screaming a message that is oftentimes very different than what you read in the Bible. And over time, that message changes you. It impacts you. It'll change your thinking and your philosophy. I thought about how prevalent this is in our lives, and, and let, let me share some stats with you. Did you know that 80% of smartphone users uh, admit to getting online in the first 15 minutes of the day to check the internet? They haven't even been out of the bed yet, Not even, hadn't even taken a shower and eaten breakfast, and the first thing they do, 80% of them, is pick up their phone and get online, check the news, check social media, see what happened overnight. As soon as you wake up, something's speaking into your ear. You're processing things, you're learning things, you're hearing things. Who's speaking into your life? Almost 50% of people admit that they use their smartphone and surfing the internet to help them go to sleep at night. So for over 50% of the population, getting online is the first thing you do and the last thing you do before you go to bed. And those messages, whether it's advertising or, or people on social media sharing their opinions or the news pushing an agenda, whatever it is, like you're consuming this. And Jesus asking, him, like, who are you allowing to teach you? What is speaking into your heart and into your soul and into your mind? That's why it's so important for us to spend time in the word every day, to let the Bible teach us some, to let God teach us some through his word. Now i got to bust some bubbles right here. Because sometimes I'll talk to people and I hear an excuse a lot. I just don't have time to spend time in the Word every day. Well, let me share this stat with you. In February of this year, February 2021, the average American spent five and a half hours a day on their phone. That's the average. Looks like I just found you some time. And I don't have time for a small group. I just found you some time. I don't have time to go to church. Here you go. I found it. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to take my relationship with Jesus. I found you some time. Look at Tess here, five and a half hours a day. Who's speaking to you? What voices are you listening to? Who's in your ear right now? Is it a culture that is screaming something that is very different? Than what Jesus teaches, are you spending some time being around other people, pushing you, encouraging you to be better, spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, making sure what goes in your ear is what Jesus has commanded and called us to? He says, man, be careful because she's standing up and she's teaching and you are listening to what she has to say. I'm, I'm convinced of this. Our problem is not that we don't have the time to listen to God. Our problem is that we spend so much time listening to too many other things. Who are you listening to? What's going in, what's going in your ear? Despite that, this, this verse doesn't even seem like it should go next. Jesus said there's a woman that is standing up, that is leading people away from God, that is doing the wrong thing, teaching something that is not truth. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. Whew, man. How kind is God? How patient is God? Somebody asked me the other day, said, Nathan, why do you think God allows evil people to still live on earth? Wouldn't it be good for God just to wipe out all of the evil people that exist on the earth? Wouldn't the world be a lot better place? And I said, well, I can that's an easy answer. I can tell you why God just doesn't eliminate all the evil people on the earth, because he's kind, because he's patient. And God wants to give as many people an opportunity to repent and turn towards him as he can. Because heads up, it wasn't long ago that you were one of those evil people. That you didn't know Jesus. And God, in his patience and in his kindness, instead of just smearing you off the face of the earth and starting over, he said, I'm going to wait and I'm going to give them another chance to turn to me. I'm going to give them another chance to turn back and receive the, the grace of Jesus. Here's the fourth thing that Scripture tells us. We can learn from this. we got to learn how to embrace grace. Embrace the grace. Embrace this gift. God was like, Jesus says right here, in verse 21, I'm giving her a chance to embrace the grace so that her life can be changed. How kind Is God to us. How patient, how loving, how sacrificial is he that he would be so patient with us. All you have to do, Jesus says, is embrace the gift. Just accept the gift. And he's giving you another chance today to accept it. Unfortunately, Jesus says she's unwilling to do that. And what verse 22 says is there eventually comes a time where God's patience runs out where you won't have another opportunity. Today, you are here today. Today is an opportunity for you to make to embrace grace, but there won't always be a today, tomorrow. Verse 22, it says, "'So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, "'and I will make those who commit adultery with her "'to suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. "'I will strike her children dead. "'Then all the churches will know "'that I am he who searches hearts and minds, "'and I will repay each of you according to your deeds.'" Jesus hits us right here with with the three count. Your mom ever give you a three count? (laughs) Sometimes I will tell my kids the timeline in which they have in order to accomplish what I want them to do. But I want them to know there's a timeline. Sometimes kids get home from school and I say, all right, it's three o'clock, right? By five o'clock, your room has to be cleaned up, all right? Now, if it's not cleaned up by five o'clock, you don't have to do it now. If I were you, I'd go ahead and do it now, get it knocked out. But you got two hours, So I'm I'm giving you to the count of two, two hours, right? You can go clean up. Now listen, if your room is not cleaned up by five o'clock, then here are the consequences. Here are the negative consequences. Jesus does this in this passage. In verse 22 and 23, he says, there will be consequences. Every decision you make has a consequence. Every action you take has a consequence. Every word you speak has a consequence. No one is gonna be able to stand in front of God and say, God, I I didn't know I was gonna get this if I didn't turn towards you. He says, I want to make sure very clear. There are consequences if you choose not to embrace grace. I don't want anybody to be confused. I don't want anybody not to know. And even though there's kindness and there's love and there's patience, eventually you will run out. I don't know, you may die before you embrace the grace. Like, I don't know what'll happen, but eventually time will run out. And God says, if it does, there will be consequences. I need you to know there'll be consequences for that. And he lays out what that looks like. Here's why that's so hard. When he calls people to repent of their sins, you want to know why repentance is so hard? Because it involves you and I admitting that we were wrong. And if there's one thing we hate to do, is to admit we're wrong. God says, I want to give you every opportunity just to turn from where you're going and turn towards God. Do an about face. Admit that you were wrong and embrace the gift of eternal life. And God says there will be some people that are unwilling to do that because one of the hardest things that we'll ever do in life is have to admit that we're wrong. Jesus says there's gonna be consequences for them and this is how he ends the longest letter of the seven. He says, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus said there there are some people in church, like not everybody is following this crazy lady. Not everybody has turned their back on God. Not everybody is being tolerant. Like not everybody is forsaking their responsibility to continue to move forward and to seek Jesus. So for those of you that are doing the right thing, for those of you that have kept the faith, for those of you that are still moving forward in the right direction, I think there's two powerful words that Jesus says. It's number five, the last thing. He says, hold on. Hold on. First time I ever went whitewater rafting, I was in middle school, and uh, I think the, the guide was trying to create some urgency in uh, the life of everyone that was riding the boat, because when before we got in the water, he was going through a safety course. He said, you know, this is how you wear your life vest. If, if you don't have a life vest, uh, I don't want you to drown. Uh, so always have your life vest on. He said, this is how you sit on the boat, and, and, and this is like what you're going to expect, and you need to listen to the, what I'm saying. I'll tell you when to row and when to stop and all of that kind of stuff. And he, and he got to the point where he says, now, we need to talk about what's going to happen if anybody falls out of the boat. Because there's some sections of these rapids that are, are really, really dangerous, and he said, you could fall out of the boat and, and like you could hit your head on the ground and uh, on, the, on the, the riverbed and like be disoriented. And so you need to know what to do. And, and then he started getting like really scary. He was like, for those of you at the front of the boat, and I was at the front of the boat, for those of you at the front of the boat, you might fall off the front of the boat and the boat run over you and you are now underneath the boat. And I was like, I don't even think I want to do this anymore. Um, but that's a possibility. He said, now here's what I need for you to do. When you're in the middle of the water that is churning and frothy and dangerous and and maybe you're floating away and it's taking you away and your heart is racing, here's what I'm gonna do. And he pulled out this big bag that had a rope attached to it. And he said, "This, this rope will be attached to the boat and I will throw you this bag. It's an inflatable bag. And he said, this is what I need for you to do. I need for you to grab it and I need for you to hold on. He said, you need to hold on for dear life. This needs to be the only thing on your mind is grabbing this bag and holding on to it. Because if you hold on to that bag, not only will it keep you above the water, but I will then be able to grab this rope and I will be able to pull you back towards the boat, pluck you out of the water and get you back to safety. The only thing you need to remember when you're in the midst of the turmoil is grab it and hold on. And in verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, for those of you that are remaining faithful, when you find yourself in a culture that is like churning water around you, where you are disoriented and the water sometimes feels like it's coming over your head and the only thing that's above water are your lips right now. And it's hard to breathe and you're getting ready to hit the panic button and you don't know what to do. Jesus says, hold on. Hold on for dear life. Like, look at the truth that is found in this scripture. I know what the world is saying. I know what culture is saying. Take this and hold on. Hold on to this. It'll keep you above water, and I can get you back to it. No matter what's happening around you, I can get you back to what you need to be, where you need to be, what you need to understand. I can get you from where you are back into the safety of the boat, into the calling and the purpose that God has for your life. Hold on. On for dear life. Now, for some of you, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you've been to a church like this before, where maybe at the end, a pastor begins to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, and and maybe you didn't know this, but by God sending His only Son Jesus into the world, He identified that you were getting tossed around, fearful, not knowing what's going on, completely overwhelmed in life with so many things. And yet in the midst of that, God takes a rope bag and throws it to you. And he gives you the invitation. Grab it and hold on. And maybe you've been to church a thousand times and if you look back on it now, there's been plenty of times where God has thrown that rope bag off and it splashed right beside you and you didn't grab it. And maybe today is the first time where you realize God is giving you another invitation. How kind and patient and loving is God that he would throw you that rope bag another time and say, just grab it, just grab it and hold on. And I can take you from where you are right now and I can take you out of it and and, and get you in the boat to safety. (laughs) And I can help you understand that where your life is going in the direction that I've called you to. Would you take that today? Maybe for the first time you realize that it got thrown to you and it's sitting right there. Would you accept the gift that is God sending his only son Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and have your life changed? maybe you're like me and you've been a christian for a long time and you find yourself in a culture where you're just like man so many things are happening so many people are believing so many different things and it's like i'm tired of treading water a little bit it feels like we're getting overwhelmed it feels like man, we're on the losing team sometimes it's frustrating it's it's difficult and and the reminder for you today is hold on hold on to the truth of what god said Hold on to the faith that you have. Don't abandon it. Don't let go of it and find yourself floating down. Grab it and embrace it and hold on. And watch how God not only sustains you during a season where it feels like you're being completely overwhelmed, but where he can get you from where you are back to where you need to be, walking in that relationship with him, living a life of purpose, impacting others around you. That was the message for the church at Thyatira, the same message for us today. Hold on, grab it for the first time or pull it close every day of your life. Can I pray for you? God, that verse 21 is so powerful. When it describes how loving and how kind and how patient you are. Despite people like me that spent so much time wasting, running away from you, living my own life, doing my own thing, not even paying attention to you. And in that moment, you threw the rope bag to me and you said, Man, if you, Nathan, if you would just embrace it, if you would just accept the gift that's in front of you right now, your life could change. God, thanks for not giving up on me when my life was in the middle of the churning water. God, give us the the wisdom and the discernment to know what to do with the words that we've heard this morning, that we know that we can hang on to the truth, that we can embrace grace, that we can love people, but also stand for something in our lives, that we would be careful who we're allowing to speak into our hearts and into our souls, that we'd be focused on you, on hearing from you and moving forward in obedience. God, help us to hang on, to hold on to the faith and to the promises that we find from you. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info@discoverrevo.com. At